You know, I, I, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a library. You, you, you know, in your mind that you have an image that comes from something you saw. So I, I, I try to get into those shelves and pull down what I like and see them. I'm Sean Fennessy, Editor-in-Chief of The Ringer, and this is The Big Picture, a conversation show with some of the most interesting filmmakers in the world. Luca Guadagnino might be the world's foremost sensualist. His films drip with passion, romance, heavy physical feeling. Think of Timothy Chalamet and that peach in Call Me By Your Name, or Rafe Fiennes thrusting his pelvis to the Rolling Stones in a bigger splash. So Luca's new movie, a reimagining of the Italian horror classic Suspiria, is both a surprise and a no-brainer. It isn't just sensual, it's visceral. It's set in an elite dance school in 1970s Germany that's masquerading as the home for a coven of witches. The tension mounts and mounts and mounts, and then blood sprays everywhere. It feels like a culmination of all that passion building until it bursts. I talked to Luca about why he made this movie, his life and work after the incredible success of Call Me By Your Name, and why Bob Dylan is his next muse. Here's Luca Guadagnino. I'm quite delighted to be joined by Luca Guadagnino. Luca, thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me here. Luca, I must say, I'm a big fan of the original Suspiria, and when I heard that you were taking on the new Suspiria, I was a little surprised. But then I thought about I Am Love, I thought about A Bigger Splash, I thought about Call Me By Your Name, movies that are about artistic people coping with external forces, and it started to make a lot more sense to me. Good. <laughs> Is that what drew you to it originally as well? Now that you say it, probably, but <laughs> I don't know if I consciously had this kind of projection in my mind because in truthful truthfulness, I did wanted to make Suspiria much earlier than I wanted to make the other movies you mentioned. So in a way, Suspiria is somehow kind of my first desired thought of project. When did it first come into your life, the original? I think in two in two times. Once when I saw the poster hanging in a movie theater that was shut down for the summer in uh, Italy, in the north of Italy, at uh, the age of 10. And one uh, once another time when I saw the movie at the age of 14. And what was your immediate reaction to the, seeing the film? Well, I think it was like uh, when your heart uh, beat goes very, very, very fast. Uh, it was a f- like a wave of emotion, very strong one. I think it's about the fact that Probably the movie spoke to me about the possibilities of cinema. You know, that cinema could you bring you to places and emotional places that were very extreme. Were you a fan of horror movies? Is that something yeah. that drew you to it? Well, I have been, I, I've been always very attracted by horror films, yes. And had you been always wanting to make one as well? Or was it something yeah, specific yeah, yeah, yeah. about Suspiria? Horror movies are really the kind of films that I fantasize about a lot. For forever, still now. What are some of the other ones that you sort of responded to? I mean, I mean, I remember I saw Psycho when I was super young, uh, uh, even younger than when, than when I went uh, to see Sus- Suspiria, uh, The Shining, uh, The Exorcist, uh, Cat People by Jacques Tourneur, um, Blue Velvet, which is not technically a horror movie, but there are elements of it that are so dark and extreme. Um, anything that Cronenberg was doing and is doing. Um, then American Werewolf in London. So many. 
Those are all different styles too and types yeah, and yeah. tones. It's a very vari- it, it's a great genre because it allows you to tackle it in a different in many different ways. What was important to you in terms of putting your thumbprint, the Luca signature on a horror film? I don't think like that. That's not the way I try to do my job. Like if I start to think about putting my stamp, what's my stamp, I would be dead. I would be a dead director, I would say. You know, I'm I'm very intuitive. So I, I try to do what I feel I have to do. I don't think, okay, now what is my style and how do I apply to it? No, that's not what I so where did this one start? It's it's written with someone you've worked with before. Yeah, this this actual version of the movie started a few years ago when me and Dave Kajanek we sat uh, um, here in Westwood and uh, we we had a pan- we had a pastrami sandwich and we were talking <laughs> and talking about why and what could have come out of Dario Argento Suspiria, and this conversation led to more conversations until these conversations turned into David writing this for me, beautiful script. What were some of the things you really wanted to hit on there? Because you've obviously, you've taken some aspects of Argento's original, but also you've added this his, this great history into the film. You've had, you've changed some of the elements of it. So what did you, what were some of the themes that you wanted to make sure you're hitting on? Well, I think the conflict of powers is something that is very at the core of this film. You have a, a, an internal conflict within the coven of the witches and then you have an external conflict in society. And it's all about the role of the past and how you deal with it. And so, you know, how do you go about setting to make this movie? It seems like it got started before the Call Me By Your Name moment really happened. It seemed like you were already in production. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, are in pro- we were in production before I was in production for Call Me By Your Name. Yeah. Oh, you were. You were in production on Suspiria before production for Call Me By Your Name. In, in pre-production, yes, yes. Oh, we we had uh, this great script, and then we had the great cast, and then I met with few financiers, and finally the conversations with Amazon led to the actual making of the film. I'm wondering if anything that happened in the experience of Call Me By Your Name, either the making of the film or everything, the sort of massive exposure that you had afterwards, if that changed anything about the making of Suspiria for you. No. You didn't learn anything new or think about a new way to you position always do a movie. Every movie you do is always your first film, to mm. be honest. And um, yes, you learn, you learn. But uh, in a way, it's better to start fresh to not have any expectations and to try to be very direct in what you do. They call me by your name uh, a, a success, quote unquote, is uh, something that happened while Suspira was almost finished. Was that a good thing to have something else going on alongside the production of a film? Was that challenging in any way? It was cool. I, yeah. I wanted to do it. I looked for it. I was, you know, when I, when call me by your name came about, I was already in preparation of Suspiria. And I said to myself, you know what? It's fun. Let's do two movies in the same year. Mm-hmm. So then it was cool for me to do it. After two and a half years of working and finishing the films, promoting the films, going around the world with both films, I feel that it's a bit tiring. You need a little break. Yeah. Tell me about preparing for Suspiria. Do you, are you the sort of person who, do you build a lookbook? Do you watch a lot of films? Are you reading books in preparation? Well, there is that, uh, which is def- definitely something I do, but it's also there is my imagery. You know, I, 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 it's, like a, it's, like a, it's like a library. You, you, you know in your mind that you have an image that comes from something you saw. So I, I, I try to get into those shelves and pull down what I like and see them. 
and watch them. And also we prepare materials, visual materials. We had a lot of great artists in this film, from Imbal Weinberg, the production designer, to Julia Piersanti, the costume designer, and Tom York, the, the, who composed the soundtrack and many beautiful songs. So, and more, and more people. And um, so it, it's a very vivid uh, group of people who, who each of us has the commitment to search mm-hmm. and find as much as possible. Did they show you something that maybe you hadn't seen before and said, yes, that has to go into the movie? Well, I saw, for instance, my Fernanda Perez, my wonderful makeup artist, she showed me images that are were very cruel images of uh, extreme violence in reality that uh, were a very good template to understand how to represent the extreme violence in this film. Had you ever done anything like that in any of your work, the sort of the way that we see the violence? Because I wanted to kind of explain. Well, I, I don't know if you saw Bigger Splash. Oh, yeah, of course. That's true. There is a scene in which uh, Paul kills Harry, which I hope comes across as, let's say, death playing it in time, in real time. Yes, it is intense, but I guess maybe not quite as um, as visceral. Because there are no blades yes. and guts exposed. Yes. But yet it? he's dying. He is dying. But what was it like to, the physical act of creating those scenes? I mean, there are these incredible moments with these sort of knife-like ah, objects. It was a, a fun on the one hand. Yeah. And it was uh, annoying and on the other hand because, you know, like, you rip a body and then the body has to be resealed, re-cleaned. So it's a lot of time. Just fun because uh, one of our fantastic witches, Christine Leboot, who plays uh, uh, Balfour, and she's the woman with the gray hair and that she sings at the end of the movie that are very ominous chant. She had to hook a body and then lift the body up. And it was like a hook and a, and a rubber, and a piece of rubber a rubber leg. And I remember that she was so terrified by this thing. She was so upset by it that she couldn't do it. And she was like turning her face and trying to do it, but she couldn't hit the mark because she wasn't looking at. And then she obliged, we obliged her to look at it and she was crying and crying because she really couldn't stand the violence, even if it was a piece of plastic. It was interesting. That's amazing. Was there, there is something high-level extreme about the movie that I, I mean that as a compliment. Thank and I'm you. wondering how much you considered that. Were you saying, I really want to push the envelope in terms of how big some of these moments can be? Well, it's not, progr- it's not programmatic like that. Mm-hmm. It's more about the fact that you are, uh, you want to be committed to what the story leads you and these characters, you know? This is about the coven of witches and that they are exerting power over one another and this power crushes bodies. I was thinking also about Call Me By Your Name, which is about two boys, romantic in Italy. You know, this Suspiria is almost the exact opposite. Germany, women, it's austere at times, it's cold, it's snowing in scenes. Did you did you sense that that was a sort of a, a reversal in some way, that you were seeing something that has felt quite different? No. We have seasons in life. There is winter, <laughs> there is summer, there is fall. Oh, no. no I, I, all, I go for the story. What's the story it wants, the story needs and gets. Was there anything that changed from the script that you and David talked about when you were having that pastrami sandwich by the time you got to shooting the Yeah, film? yeah, of course. You evolved, you evolved. The movie evolved. And uh, yeah, many things, but uh, always for the best. I remember when, when we were doing the Sabbath scene, which is a highly choreographed scene because it's all about the position and the hierarchy and what happens on screen. And it's... Uh, 
I don't remember, it was like three pages script and five days shoot. And I started to rearrange the scene and I rewrote in my broken English the scene in order to make it more adherent to the actual uh, mise-en-scene day-to-day of the scene. And then Dave received the scene and he was furious. Oh, gosh. Because I I rechanged the scene. Uh, I understand that. But yeah, that happens from time to time. Yeah, but I love him. I love Dave so much. Such a wonderful person and such an incredible writer. It's The thing is that he was uh, in production on The Terror. Mm-hmm. His television show. And he was in, very close, we, we, he was in Hungary, I guess, and we were in Milan. And, I, and when we did a bigger splash, he spent the entire production with me on set, on a chair beside mine, because I love to have my constant uh, backup with him. Right, right. Sometimes you have to change things. He wasn't there. <laughs> That's interesting. Tell me about the sheer physicality of the movie, because in both the dance sequences and also in the editing, there's something very, very physical going on. And I'm, I'm wondering how you sought to capture that. Maybe you could describe a little bit of the approach that you took. First thing first is that we have performers who are also very great physical performers. They play the, the role of Olga is played by this fantastic dancer and now actress, Yelena Fokina. And the viscerality of the scene in which she gets crushed is such because it's all about her performance. And she's doing all of that. In, yeah. yeah. So I really, again, I mean, like, I want, I want the weight of things on screen. You know, we, we are immersed in this digital world. And weight of things is not, because it's all about the illusion of it. And it's all about the, uh, let's say, define the the sense of gravity, because digital can make everything. Like a camera movement is now impossibly fast, no? You remember the sweeping pans that Peter Jackson made through the Lord of the Rings, the, the, the third chapter, and you see like thousands and thousands of digital extras being being seen from an eagle eye point and this very fast tracking thing, which defies the, the gravity. You know, you cannot do that in with a physical world. You have to do it with digital. And I, I admire that. I found it uh, fascinating. But it's not my thing. Mm-hmm. I li- I am a little bit dull. I like the weight of things. I don't think anybody would watch the scene that you're talking about, though, and call it dull. It is very specific. It is intense and it is intimate as well. Um, how do you... Is it different for actors when you're working on a scene that is that intense and that physical? Has it been, been different from anything that you've worked well, on? Well, I mean, you have to be careful. You have to make sure that you don't cross lines in general. But in particular, in those sequences, you like, you know, like you, I, you know, I'm directing, so I like I can go on and on and on. But maybe the, the actor needs time to rest and reassess the balance of their bodies. Yeah, that's the the thing to be careful about how you understand that someone can be physically tired and needs time. What about Dakota Johnson? This is the second film you've made with her, and she must have trained a great deal to do this movie. We, we sent her a trainer. She had a trainer in New York two years before shooting. Then we had a hiatus, and then we sent her a trainer while she was shooting the last two chapters of Fifty Shades mm-hmm. in Vancouver. And then once we she wrapped and we, there was another break, then she came to Italy for a month and a half, two months, 
to work with Damien Jalet, the company of dancers, and Mia Goth as well. Mm-hmm. And how do you know that she's ready? How do you know that she can be not just credible, but impressive as a performer in that sense? Well, I mean, uh, we were patiently building that. Mm-hmm. Is also, there also, Mia Goth did the same. Like We patiently got there. There was a great choreographer, Damien Chalet. There was a, a great uh, coaches there. So we built. Why is it important that this movie is set during um, the German autumn and, and with the Bader Meinsdorf? Well, I think because, you know, that what, what was outside of the sealed world, uh, world of Phantasmagoria of Dario Argento, I thought it was good to actually open this box and, and make it confront with what was the times. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's about past. I think it's about guilt. I think those witches are kind of struggling to, uh, to, defi- to, to, to define who they are in, perspect- in, in, in the perspective of their past. The same thing is happening in the society of Germany then. It was a good uh, counter, counter, how would you say, counterbalance? Yeah, sure. That's fascinating. There's also something, we're making this movie sound very dramatic, and it is very dramatic. It's also well, very funny. It's got a good sense of humor about certain things. I'm thinking specifically of a scene when some cops visit these witches. <laughs> you know, how do you... Uh, how did you feel being a man in that moment? Uh, maybe lightly indicted, but mostly just amused. Um, I thought it was really entertaining. Did it ever happen to you? <laughs> Not quite like that. Um, <laughs> How about you? Have you had that happen to you? No, no, I'm safe and sound because <laughs> I am homosexual. So I yeah. <laughs> well, you never, who knows when we come across witches, I guess. Like that's true. Thing. Witches can do whatever they want. And in any form. Um, but was that something that was important to you, to keeping a, kind of a light touch at times in the movie? Well, I hope that in my work people recognize a sense of wit. Yeah. I like witness. I like I like a wit, 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 being wit. I think it's fun. I think it's... And also, like... In, in in psychoanalysis, the wit is one of the rhetorical figure. Mm-hmm. I think you have the uncanny and you have the wit. The mixture of the two it creates a very beautiful, I would, I would say, texture. Yeah, the movie is very clever. I appreciate that about it. Um, tell me about Tilda Swinton, with whom you've made many, many, films. Many, many films and many, many escapades. Yes, a creative partner of yours. Um, yeah. What's it like at this her. stage? Do you have an, un, is it unspoken? Do you, do you, are you going over it constantly and saying, this is how we will approach this film? This is what this film means? Or do you have? A- well, we have, uh, it's cool because, uh, <laughs> you know, like we, we, we're fun. It's like being on a beach with your friend, with a kid with like you, and you're playing with the sand and with the, with the forms and one contribute to one thing that they contribute to another thing. It's really a, a kindergarten playground. How do you know when to call on her? Because you've given her some new responsibilities in this movie. So is do you, do you, is it just, I have a new project, are you interested? Or Well, I mean, it depends on the project, I guess. And she was she, always She couldn't play on. Oliver in Call Me By Your Name. That's Well, you never know. I mean, <laughs> she, she obviously tests the boundaries of kind of who can play what in this That's film. That's true. That's true. That's true. When did you conceive of her uh, taking on multiple I roles? think while, while we were in the process of working with the Dave. Okay. And... How was that for her to just to, to, to be doing multiple I think parts? she said, sure, no worries. Mm-hmm. Why was she positioned as another actor? Was that just a fun At the beginning, we really, did, we really didn't want to say it because we thought uh, it would go, that would have been good for an audience to have this slight uh, unconscious perception of something strange there, but not knowing. Are you frustrated that it's out in the world that that happened now? I like disruptions, so okay. not. Okay. I will say, because what you just described was very resonant, because that was my experience. I watched the film. I didn't know that she was playing multiple parts, but I felt some sort of phantom 
essence going on. Also, uh, the wonderful uh, Malgozia Bela plays two roles in this film. Oh, who else does she play? She plays uh, Susie's mother. Mm -hmm. And she plays uh, this uh, creature that shows up at the end. Oh, yes. Okay. Interesting. That's good to know. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the ending without spoiling the ending. So let's try. I'm going to try to do that. The ending is, is has an opera quality to it. It is, and you have you have worked in opera. And I, I was wondering if you could just at least describe what you were hoping to achieve with a sort of this sort of. It's almost like a bacchanal. Well, it's a sabbat. Mm-hmm. There are certain uh, rules to the to a sabbat. We wanted to show the order and the ritual, the order of the ritual. The choreography of the ritual. They've been working on it forever and then they have repeated that so many times. It's all very, very well symmetrically made. And then chaos erupts. So it's about that. So it's an amazing. A, per- wild a perfect sequence. plan is never a perfect plan. Did everything that happened with Call Me By Your Name change the way that you feel about the way that films are received? There was a lot more tension on Call Me By Your Name than some of your previous films. And there was a kind of a. Attention. Yes. And there was a kind of phenomenon quality, and it became a, what we call a meme. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah. this. Uh, did that change the way that you think about, after a movie comes out, how people think about it and talk about it? Or are you already on to the next thing? I, I have a great, a great uh, gratitude for the people in the world showed so much attachment to Call Me By Your Name. And it's very dear to me. And I made a few friends mm-hmm. between quote-unquote fans. Um, I uh, am a doer. And, uh, you know, when you harvest an orchard and you get these fantastic vegetables, you have to start thinking of the next, you know, like the the fruit that you're picking from the garden is not the end of everything. It's not the point of arrival. The point There is no point of arrival. It's continuous. It's, it's a process that has to continuously think of itself, you know? Like in nature, the winter is as important as the summer. So I have uh, that kind of uh, discipline with me that, it, uh, that I don't give anything for granted and that everything is in movement. Are you already doing on the next thing? Well, I am doing a few things. Um, I'm working on a documentary uh, on uh, the shoemaker Salvatore Ferragamo. Oh, interesting. And I am uh, working on a movie that I'm producing for my partner, who is a fantastic director. And um, I, I'd love to have a holiday, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe not yet. And uh, it's true that uh, it came out... Um, in the press that I am uh, working on a script with the, the magnificent Richard Lagravanese uh, from, from, from an album by Bob Dylan called Blood on the Tracks. I'm very interested in that. I'm sure you won't say very much about it, but I will ask about it anyway. But first, the Ferragamo documentary, I didn't know that you were doing that. Yeah, I've been doing it for a while. Is it's, that in, it's, a, it's an historical piece. It's a, it's a documentary of history. Is it in the previous style of documentaries that you've made that is more, sort of more archival and collective? There is a lot of archival. There is a lot of interviews. Mm-hmm. We, we, we interviewed Deborah Nedelman, mm-hmm. uh, who is not only the phenomenal costume designer that she is, but she is also a great uh, um, historian of of costume in Hollywood and Mr. Ferragamo uh, came here when in the 20th century in 1915 
he was super young and he went to Santa Barbara and then he realized, he felt, he understood that something was happening here in Hollywood and he moved here and he started to collaborate with the industry and he became a pr provider of shoes for films like uh, uh, The Thief of Baghdad. He, ma he made a lot of uh, shoes for films from uh, uh, Cecil B. DeMille and uh, um, David Griffith. Uh, and he started to immediately understand the power of star system so that he was part of the, let's say, uh, contrib contributed to the creation of the icons, such Lillian Gish, Marlene, and so on. And so it's a very fascinating figure, Salvatore. Do you identify with that? I think about maybe what's happened no. with Timothy Chalamet and some no, of the things I you're don't. describing, and I don't know. I don't, I don't. He was a real pioneer, mm -hmm. a true genius, true genius. So we've been interviewing a lot of people. Uh, historians of Hollywood, historians of the shoes, great uh, journalists of fashion, but not fashion in terms of what is how it, the current fashion, but was their fashion at the times. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's, it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story, the Salvatore story. And and Salvatore's wife sadly passed away a few days ago. Oh, geez. So that's a little moment of remembrance of Vanda Ferragamo. But you had a chance to speak he, with her. He, yeah, he passed away uh, fairly uh, uh, young at the end of the 50s at the beginning of the 60s having left a good company with so much genius creation in shoes and it's the wife who was like 30 years younger than he who suddenly lost and alone decided that she was not gonna, gonna give up speaking of the importance of women and the power of women and she made the the brand Ferragamo what it now is yeah, fascinating yeah it's very fascinating and the, our story ends with the death of Mr. Ferragamo I see and the Blood on the Tracks project <laughs> uh, you are a longtime fan of Bob Dylan what is it that draws you to, to Dylan I am a fan of Bob Dylan of course how can not you be a fan of Bob Dylan it's such a gigantic uh, teller of human condition mm -hmm. wonderful it's just that uh, uh, Rodrigo Teixeira, who is the producer of, uh, one of the producers of Call Me By Your Name, one day asked me if I was uh, uh, exactly asking me the same question. Am I a fan of Bob Dylan? What do you think about Bob Dylan? And I said that I loved him. And he told me that he had the option or both the rights to make a movie from one album by Bob Dylan, Blood on the Tracks. And I said, oh, wow, that's an amazing idea. Because I think that you can do a movie from anything, even a bottle of water. Not that the bottle of water is comparable to Blood on the Track. It's just that the source of inspiration can come from everywhere. And so I said, yeah, sure, that's an amazing idea. And I said to him, I'll do it only if we can convince Mr. Richard Lagravanez to write it for me. And Richard was up for it. I thought that was so interesting. He's obviously a quite a gifted screenwriter, but what what are, what are the films I mean, of his? He's a that, very, very. I mean, beyond. What, so, what is it you respond to in his in his writing? Like, I mean, I can mention uh, by memory the Fisher King, and then I can go for Little Princess, and then I can tell you about uh, Beloved, and then you go for Behind the Candelabra, The Bridges of Madison County. He has a good sense for the literary while making it approachable. He knows human nature. I'm curious because there's something inherently American about Bob Dylan. And Super American. Before. And I'm very proud about making my very first all-American film. That's what I want to I'm going to disappear into America. I want to be as American as, uh, as Clint Eastwood. Well, how do you do that then? Do you have to live here to do that? Do you have to interview Americans? Well, I've been coming here for a long, since mm -hmm. a long time. Also, I think it's about your attitude. Mm -hmm. you, be, you have to be open to the other. 
my producer noted before. And many, many filmmakers that came from abroad, Billy Wilder, mm -hmm. Ernst Lubitsch, Milos Forman, they've been some, some of the greatest storytellers of American life. No doubt. But many of your films are not only set in Europe, but they are they feel as if they are European films, but also, in some respects, targeted towards Western audiences. You know, there's often American cast members or, or British cast members, and we feel they're somehow easier to access, I think, for some American audiences. Is that, was that ever a conscious thing for you? No, I do what I feel doing. I'm not cynical. I don't do things because now, you know, the character is American, so you can have more, how can I say you can have more access to the market there. No, I did what I would like to do. Did you feel like you were driving towards making an, an American experience movie? Uh, yeah, I think that uh, I don't give myself limits, meaning that I am someone who wants to start to tell as many stories as possible that I believe into. And so no, I'm, I'm speaking in Italian. I'm sure that uh, um, quite a few of these stories will be American stories. The first one that is... Deeply American is I'm making at the age of 47. You've made a lot of different kinds of films now, even though they feel like they, they are all related. There are cousins or, or siblings, romance, horror, documentary, family drama. Is there a kind of, is there a Luca war film? Oh, uh, I wish. Yeah. Of a, course. A Western. You know? War films are fantastic because it's all about the tactic. So, you know, how do you show the tactic? So, so cinematic. And that's something you would be interested in potentially ah, doing. I would die to do a war movie and musical. Those are the two things and I would like to do. Yeah. That is something you should do. Yeah. I end every episode of this show by asking filmmakers what's the last great thing that they have seen. So I'll put it to you. What is the last great thing that you've seen? I love The Old Man and the Gun by David Laurie. He was here a few a weeks filmmaker ago. Filmmaker I, I deeply admire, greatly respect. So wonderful, wonderful filmmaker. What is it that you respond to in his work? He's a, he's a humanist. That's wonderful. I think people say the same about you, Luca. Thank you for doing Thank this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Big Picture. If you liked this show, please go to iTunes and rate and review the show and tell us how much you liked it. Please tune in tomorrow on this feed where Chris Ryan and I will be talking about the top five Westerns since Unforgiven. See you then. Mm -hmm.